When it comes to your finances, go for the credit card that's always there for you. With 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. Real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. So why do you want to learn a new language? I'll tell you why. Because donde esta el baño can be a very important question at times. You know, Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. Fast track your language acquisition with immersive lessons designed to teach you to pick up languages in a natural way. I love the fact that I can go from my laptop to my phone to pretty much anywhere and learn the language of my choice. Not to mention I'm bringing my communication skills to new heights. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a limited time, Star Talk Radio listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash StarTalk. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash StarTalk today. Welcome to Star Talk, your place in the universe where science and pop culture collide. Star Talk begins right now. Welcome to Star Talk Radio. I'm Neil deGrasse Tyson. I'm an astrophysicist and director of New York City's Hayden Planetarium at the American Museum of Natural History. This show features the comedian Joan Rivers, who sadly passed away recently. Joan was a guest on Star Talk during our first season in 2009, and we've excavated that old show to pay tribute to her today. Back in 2009, my co-host was the comedian Lynn Coplitz, and Joan Rivers was Lynn's good friend and comedic mentor. So, in this first interview clip, Lynn, Joan, and I hang out in Joan Rivers' New York apartment and talk about some highlights from the 1960s, her appearance on The Ed Sullivan Show, and the Apollo 11 moon landing. Star Talk Radio is here in Joan Rivers' library, and I'm Neil deGrasse Tyson with Lynn Coplitz and Joan Rivers. Joan Rivers. Joan. It's my library. I should be in here. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, Joan, Star Talk, as you know, we talk to anybody who's got something to say about the universe, and we know you got stuff to say about everything, including the universe. So, you realize that in space, particularly in orbit around Earth, there's like no gravity. There's like zero G and on the moon it's like one sixth G and so with less gravity things float Do you have any thoughts about that? Do you ever thought of living in space because things float? No, what I've thought about is I know that if you go around the earth if you go backwards you get younger oh, That was in the movie Superman. Yeah, but yeah, but that's not real though. That was just Superman Well, apparently Suzanne Summers now lives in a rocket ship <laughs> So, no, I don't like any of that stuff. I don't like the outfits. So I wouldn't live in outer space. So it's all about the clothes. Yes. I'm sorry. <laughs> you got the wrong person here. I agree, but I like the idea of zero gravity, Jim, because gravity is what pulls everything down. 
So it does give us that more uplift. That's the only reason I would even consider going in space is the idea of I don't have that drag yes. down. So, so, Joan, you don't need any more uplift, apparently. No, is that no, 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 no. The point is, yeah, so you, you would have things up. You just have to wear those stupid spacesuits. Oh, good point. They look like gay exterminators. I don't like the spacesuits. <laughs> good point. So, so even if you're floating, no one knows because you're wearing a spacesuit. Yes, you're in a stupid spacesuit. You, you can't get your toes down, those big boots, the gravity boots. It is so not for me. So you want open-toed gravity boots? I will wait to go on the moon until they figure out a way you can look nice. <laughs> I could totally see you doing for QVC something designer in the whole aerospace line. What, what do you we think you would do first? The moon pin. The moon. <laughs> and it makes you look thinner. <laughs> Neil was actually taken, you're going to die when I tell you this, to a diamond mine where they blindfolded him because they didn't want him to have an app on actually, a diamond. It was a diamond factory where they're making them in a lab. Yeah. Making gem quality diamonds in a lab. But they blindfolded him because they knew that he could have an application on his phone that could like track where they were going. A secret because they're worried about De Beers, you know, coming at them because they're just making it in the lab. Oh, and uh, coming after them and <laughs> killing them. Absolutely. This is a big business. Don't screw around. Where is it? <laughs> That was exactly what I said. He goes, it's top secret. Where is it? But do you think you can make a moon rock cell instead of a diamond on QVC? Yeah, like asteroids and moon rocks and stuff? I think people would love... When people claim they brought moonstones back, you know, I think people would love to wear that. And would you have to give it a mystical quality? This will bring you good luck or this will heal, you know. Get someone that's interested in that nonsense. You know, Joan, you've had a lot of gigs in your life. In fact, when I remember, last time I saw you live was in the 1960s on the Ed Sullivan Show and following the Fifth Dimension. And I came out and you signed my autograph book at the time. Do you remember that? Uh, no. <laughs> but I remember the Fifth Dimension because they were adorable. And I have a picture of all of us. Ed Sullivan was live. And if you were on the second half, you got cut because people went long longer on the first half than was supposed to. I have a picture of the fifth dimension and me all looking up, watching a clock, which is hilarious <laughs> because we knew if somebody was going longer now, you were going to get bumped. So I love the fifth dimension. I love their outfits. Yeah, yeah, that was of the day and of the moment. Yes. Yeah. So, Joan, back in the 60s, that was the Apollo era, and we landed on the moon then. So what was it, 1969, July 20th. So yes, do you remember? What, what were you doing? I was at Fire Island, and I remember that we had a wonderful little house, my husband and I, and we had friends over, and I remember sitting and watching, as we all did, on television, watching them land on the moon. And then all those insane rumors started that they were they didn't land on the moon. They did it in a in New Jersey in a in a, in a uh, hangar. In a hangar. Remember all that stupidity? And it was very exciting. And I remember that China, do you remember this, came out and said, We have our own space plan and we will have I remember this clearly a restaurant up on the moon in 2001, China made a big announcement, and Israel already made reservations. <laughs> but I remember China saying that, you think you're so smart, we will have a restaurant up on the moon in 25 years. And I thought, oh, just say how smart we are. Well, I have to say, but it would have no atmosphere. No. Oh, oh. I got one. I said one. All right, take your notes. Okay. In this next clip, my frequent co-host, the comedian Eugene Merman, spoke about Joan Rivers as a pioneer of stand-up comedy. So, Eugene, we lost another one. And, you know, she's in your field. She's one of your own species. And I just wonder how you guys as a community reacted and how did you react personally to this news of Joan Rivers' passing? 
I think that people reacted or it's funny that I wouldn't say like, oh, in a celebration, but I mean a celebration of her life, but not of the death. Right. She's been a constant throughout comedy. She was one of the people who created stand-up comedy, you know, as we know it today. She's one of a handful of people that sort of helped shape an entire art form that now we think of as a very viable thing. But at the time that she began, and also as a woman, it was probably, you know, it was very rare for anyone to be a comedian, let mm-hmm. alone do it for a living as a job. Mm-hmm. And people always ask, did they influence you? That's too trite to ask you. But can you yeah. can you comment the kind of comedy she did? Not all comedians resonate with that. So how would you say she influenced or did not people who just had a completely different line of comedy than what she pioneered? I mean, I think that she pioneered in, uh, you know, stand-up in general in a big way where... Regardless of what you're joking about. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I think that when you sort of broaden an art form, you broaden it. You know, stand-up comedy used to be, you know, you'd almost have a joke book and you would just sort of read these jokes and the stuff and that she was one of a handful of people who was like, this is my life. And she also had just a sort of a dark, a very funny kind of sharp, dark wit. And whether her specific type of comedy is something you do or not, uh, it's still influenced an entire world or genre. And then different people as time comes take pieces and things from that world. Yeah, and she was also self-effacing. And yeah. I don't know how many people did that before she did. I just don't know. She was sincerely self-effacing in the sense that there were people who had a lot of jokes that would be self-effacing, you know, they or they had like a shtick, you know, where they were like, I'm the guy who's always cheap or whatever. But they didn't have an earnestness the way that she did about sort of life in the world and, and an honesty. I think that what she, she, she wasn't just self, I mean, she was self-deprecating, but she did it in a really... Mm-hmm. A very relatable way where it was very human and very personal um, which is you know something that very much started probably in the you know late 50s early 60s as comedy grew but also she was self-aware of how much yeah. plastic surgery she got and she yeah. didn't hide that fact and I got the sense that she would be first in line to make fun of her own plastic yeah. surgery leaving you with nothing to joke about because she was already there right there was no point to tease her I mean, what's so great is that, yeah, she both knew what she wanted, which was to have, you know, plastic surgery or whatever, and also knew that it was something you could make fun of. Uh, it was it was very much all things at once. She would make fun of stuff she did with herself, knowing that she would also make fun of that in other people. That's the honesty I think you're talking about yes. there. Yes, yeah. exactly. Well, if you were asked to give parting words to her lowering casket, um, what, what do you think it would be? <laughs> Thanks. See you around. <laughs> oh, you're, you're more creative. Come on. <laughs> Sorry, I barely had to say parting words to a casket. I mean, with a body in it, I understand. <laughs> I'm more of a comic and less of a eulogizer. Do you have a way of rephrasing it for me to... <laughs> Okay, so how about... Okay, so Joan is on her deathbed, and you've been called yeah. to give her one last thing to laugh about. What do you think you would tell her? She's self-effacing, and she knows she's not going to make it till tomorrow. And she said, give me Eugene Merman. I want to laugh at something. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Probably, like, be careful what elective surgery you choose. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> that's macabre and funny at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. I don't think there's anything I would... I think my hesitation is... I don't think there's anything I would say that would have offended her. My fear is that what I 
would say wouldn't be funny enough. Funny enough, and she said, get out of my... <laughs> yeah, exactly. My hesitation is not like, I don't know what to say that like really explains what she did for both like our culture and for comedy. It's that I'm like, I don't know that I have a good enough joke that would be worthwhile of her, you know, honor to like be self-deprecating or funny enough. That's my fear. So... I remember in the day, I mean, I'm old enough, a little older than you, yeah. when a comedian came out to do stand-up on The Tonight Show, yeah. everyone gathered around. Because when else would you yeah. see a stand-up comedian? I don't yeah. know back then if there were comedy clubs. Were there back in the... No, there were, well, I mean, there were probably like two or three, yeah. When she was doing comedy, it was being invented as a thing. As an art form, and so... Yeah, no real, yeah, there were clubs. So is today anything as singular to the new comedian as... A shot on The Tonight Show was back in the 1960s? There's basically nothing. Meaning, in the 1960s, if you got on The Tonight Show, you became famous. And, and you often spent years, you know, I think she was 33 when she first did it. You, you spent years getting to that moment. Now, there's hundreds of internet things and all this different stuff. So there's nothing that can make you overnight, really, in any as it could before. But there are more comics than ever before. Yes, and so that's a good thing. Even if this field is crowded, there's more total comedic entertainment out there for all of us. Yeah, it's crowded, but full of a lot of people. And we even borrow some for Star Talk <laughs> every yeah, now and, and then. And now, also, the difference now is you can also make yourself famous through a lot of channels that you didn't have in the 1960s. Mm -hmm. I think of it as kind of an advantage, but it is too bad that occasionally no one can become famous overnight. <laughs> okay. <laughs> all right, Eugene, thanks. We'll see you in the studio. You have a dedication. Can I read it? Sure. Says so to Edgar, your husband. Yeah, I have to do that. Who made this book happen? <laughs> who made this book happen? And to Johnny Carson, who made it all happen. Yeah. Well, that's very sweet of you. That's nice. Yeah. Of course, I didn't make it all happen. Oh yes, yeah. you did. We can, I can only take credit for for putting on the show, but I did say one thing that night, which I have seldom said on this show over the years. You finished your routine. And you were devastating, and the audience was just falling apart, and you walked over and sat down, and I said, you know, you're going to be a big star. I remember. And that's something you don't say, because it always sounds like, you know, you're just... And I looked behind me. I couldn't believe you were talking to me. Yeah. <laughs> and here you are. And Milk Kamen was on the show with us that time. That's right. Oh, and I was playing those terrible... I mean, I was playing with awful shows. I, oh, God, I, mean, I You were back. opening for... Everybody. You were playing, yeah. playing little coffee houses, oh. places in the village. I was playing. I wouldn't even go into the act. I was opening for Juanita and her amazing vibrator. I mean, I... <laughs> <laughs> Nevertheless, a fine act. <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I was so bad. Juanita didn't skyrocket, did she? No. 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 Shorted I... out one night and the career was over. But... <laughs> looked like Don King. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do you remember? Do you have fond memories of the early early times in the career? Or I do now. Yeah. Looking it, back. Yeah. You know, I mean, we were all down the village together. Bill Cosby was there, and Richard Pryor was there, and Barbara Streisand. It was all in the book. You know, yeah. And we were, we were all stumbling all over each other, and that was exciting then. Right. But am I glad it's over with? I mean, you know, you can eat ketchup soup for a little bit, and then that's it. You know, I was I had no boobs that time. You know, I looked terrible. Yeah. You mean these have changed since well, 65? I, I, 
I mean, I know the dresses. I mean, has there well, been new additions to your person? That well, what I did, I put in what I had in in '65. There's a lot of rubber in me tonight. I, see, I had some boobs. I had so much rubber in me they erased what I had. <laughs> Except you know something. With age comes yeah. wisdom. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you don't need big boobs to be feminine. Look at Liberace. You don't <laughs> This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you, like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the US on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx ground is faster to more locations than UPS ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Whether you're a family vacation traveler, business tripper, or long weekend adventurer, Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. And that's good, because there are a lot of me's. Choice Hotels has over 7,400 locations and 22 brands, including Comfort Hotels, Radisson Hotels, and Cambria Hotels. Get the best value for your money when you book with Choice Hotels. Cambria Hotels feature locally inspired hotel bars with specialty cocktails and downtown locations in the center of it all. Hey, that's me. Radisson Hotels have flexible workspaces to get the most of your business travel and on-site restaurants. That's me, too. And at Comfort Hotels, you'll enjoy free hot breakfast with fresh waffles, great pools for the entire family, and spacious rooms. Hey, that's me, too. I guess I'm just going to have to stay at all of them. Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. Book direct at choicehotels.com, where travel comes true. Tillamook Chocolate Collection Ice Cream is a total chocolate game changer. We start with unbelievably creamy dark chocolate ice cream. Then we add different chocolate treats like chocolate cookies, chocolate cake, or chocolate brownies to make four decadent chocolate flavors. Because sometimes the thing that pairs best with chocolate (laughs) is more chocolate. Tillamook Chocolate Collection Ice Cream. Extraordinary Dairy. Welcome back to Star Talk. I'm Neil deGrasse Tyson. This is our tribute show to the comedian Joan Rivers. In this next clip, I talk with Joan and my comedian co-host Lynn Complitz all about astronauts, space travel, and exploration. You know, astronauts have been criticized in the past for not being articulate in expressing what they felt because they were just getting the job done go to the moon and come back do you think we would be better off to send a comedian as one of the astronauts or maybe the first one to land on the moon if it was a comedian 
Who cares? <laughs> Just wondering. Who cares? I really couldn't care if Shecky Green landed on the moon. But you know what? Here's oh, my question. You know, they could wait, wait, wait. Dane Cook, they should send him because he's not funny. <laughs> when Neil Armstrong landed, you know, he had this pertinent statement that he made. First words from the moon. Small step for, what is it? One small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. Now, how do you think that would be different if a comedian was there? <laughs> He'd say, bum bum <laughs> <Okay. laughs> Knock, knock, who's there? <laughs> Me on the moon! <laughs> Why did the astronaut cross the moon? <laughs> I get aggravated all the time, Jen, because you always hear about men in space, but we don't hear a lot about women in space, and Neil and I were talking about this and women's issues. Like, I think I I would be interested in knowing about how a woman shaves her legs. I would like to know what a woman does. Seriously, I'm not making a joke about a period in space. What do you do? Uh, that's why I think there's so few astronauts, ladies, that they send up. Remember that idiot that drove wearing a diaper? Of course. <laughs> now, you think she's an idiot because I say she's a genius. Everyone called her crazy, and I was like, only an astronaut comes up with the clever idea of going from Texas to Florida and wearing a diaper so she saved time. <laughs> I know, but for God, ugh, would you want to sit next to her in the car? <laughs> I mean, remember that she went to kill her boyfriend or the, or the, the astronaut's wife? <laughs> only an astronaut would think that. But I've always thought of my body as kind of the last frontier. <laughs> and my G-spot is a place that no man has dared to go. So, <laughs> And if he does, he may not come back. <laughs> He'll get stuck into some sort of black hole. Is that what you're telling <laughs> So there's some concern because in the long voyages to Mars, people have to live in close quarters for a long time and they have to be really friendly with each other. Yeah. And I find that really, you better make them very ugly lady astronauts. <laughs> you don't put a good looking hot little astronaut in there. With other men. Well, you put in like a big lump, the astronaut. I don't know if you know this. There is a NASA sex tape out there because they wanted to see if they could have sex in space. And they actually taped it. And I was saying that... I've never seen it. I haven't seen it. And I said that I thought the favorable position would be doggy style. It would have to be. I was, you have to hold on to something. You have to hold on to something. you got to brush up on your laws of physics if you're going to you do know. sex in space. Just You understand, of course, that this is what you're going to put on as a viral video. Now I feel like Joan Rivers is actually going to go in space. Now you have a plan. You're going to leave here and call Melissa. I've got a plan. <laughs> We're going in space next week. Okay, so just to recap, we put bad comedians on the moon. Yes. We put ugly the- women astronauts. In, in the space station. <laughs> in the space station. And I think we make sure we, we regulate their cycle and make sure that they're not PMS when they're up there because we don't need someone having some sort of space craze. I wonder when they do send up the women astronauts, they have to take that into consideration. To psych, well, I mean, the launch date. Or do you, when you're in space, uh, not have your period the way ballerinas don't? I don't know. That's interesting. Well, ballerinas don't because they're basically dysmenorrheic, right? Ballerinas are also busy working and working out. A lot of women athletes don't have their period. I wonder if astronauts do it. See, that's the kind of things people would love to know. But no, they tell us a stupid thing. Well, no, there's other stuff they don't tell you. They don't tell you every time an astronaut throws up. They don't tell you that. Ugh. And they do throw up all the time, and they're in that little helmet. They yeah, they do. They get sick. And it floats in the air, and they have to, like, <laughs> vacuum it up. And that's why they would take a woman in space. Oh. <laughs> can you clean that up? Hey, Joan, could you clean that up? <laughs> now, we did a sh- another show, Joan, on commercial space travel. Do you think you would spend $200,000 to f- have a seat and fly on Richard Branson's Virgin Galactic to space? Only if there was a first-class section. <laughs> there isn't. 
Jojo, right now, there's no flight attendant or meal included. Nope. Mm-mm. And you can sit Mm-mm. next to anyone. Nope. <laughs> nope. Nope. You might not even have a bathroom because it's just oh. a flight up and then back. It's just like it's a suborbital and you come back. No, I definitely like first class. I like my own bathroom. I want to be given earplugs. I want to be given... No, I would not go. Wouldn't you be angry if you didn't get a window seat? That was my whole thing. For 200 grams? For 200 grams. I want a thing that's, that you can sleep on. <laughs> Absolutely. And definitely a flight attendant. For 200 grand, rubbing your feet. A flight attendant? I want three gay men lined up. (laughs) And a geisha massaging you. (laughs) No, no, my cousin married a woman who was at Harvard who worked on making spaceships edible. Because if anybody got worked on this the day she died in a program at Harvard, because if they went up and they got stuck in space, it would take them like eight or ten years to get somebody else up there to bring them back. So she, I would say, how are you, Shirley? And she'd say, we made the most delicious <laughs> split pea desk. <laughs> That's nasty. It's true. It's really true. <laughs> really. It makes sense, though, when you think about it. When it because the, the, says, if they're stuck up there, they say, Lynn, we can't. We're starting right now, Lynn, to figure out how to get you down. We'll be up there in 2014. <laughs> what are you going to do? You're going to start eating your spaceship. That's what I was going to say. Is first of all, I would lose weight before I went up because I I would not want people looking at me with a bottle of A1 going, oh, she's got the big booty. <laughs> We start with her. <laughs> so have you ever performed for scientists or anybody at NASA? I, or just a geeky crowd? Yes. As a matter of fact, I, ha- I was hired to do a Trekkie convention and do my act. But it was in Miami, so they were mainly Shekies, not Trekkies. Is <laughs> <laughs> that like a Jewish Trekkie? <laughs> a Shekie is a Jewish Trekkie. I've been around you long enough now. I knew exactly what you were. I saw the look on Neil's face like, what's a Shekie? Because Neil is genius level, so he immediately wants to know why he doesn't know. I didn't want to embarrass myself by wondering what a Shekie was. See, but- finally, you feel like I normally feel. <laughs> So how did that go? It went very well. They were adorable. Remember, anyone who's interested in space is smart. We know that. They're interested in something outside of the shallow people like me. All I care about is decorating my apartment. That's the the only space I am interested in. But you know what? That's what I always tell Neil, that I'm like Saturn, that everything revolves around Oh, me. Saturn has a lot of moons, so Saturn's yeah. its own little solar system, actually. Now, now, let me ask you, was Saturn the one that got hit? Oh, oh, Jupiter got hit. Jupiter got hit. God, that really upset me. Jupiter got slammed by a comet, and Jupiter has the biggest gravity in the solar system, so it was kind of asking for it. But it's a shot across our bow, because we've got these things that could hit Earth. Yes. And we always wonder, if you know we're going to get hit tomorrow, and that's the end of civilization, what would you do today? Eat Italian food. <laughs> That's it? No. No men, no, no sex, no nothing. If I knew tomorrow we were going to be killed and demolished, I would go in and eat fettuccine. <laughs> that, would, that would be it for me. So not even men. Men are not doing it for you anymore, huh? Oh, no. Men are doing it for me. Fettuccine does it more. <laughs> I would have fettuccine and I would probably have french fried onion rings. I would I'd come and get me. <laughs> See, but you know what, Joan, we can get that right now and you can scratch that off your bucket list. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but then you you get fat. I would like to know. You'd be fat and dead and it wouldn't matter. I would like to know a week before it happened. I wouldn't even tell anybody. I would just go in and start eating. (laughs) See, now, I like that, but I would do that now. So for me, if I knew I only had a week, I think I would start open-handed slapping people. (laughs) 
wouldn't that be great? <laughs> just open hand to slapping, like in the middle of the drugstore. I, the minute the girl's like, we don't have those batteries, smack. I was at dinner the other night with a friend, and he's a very elegant gentleman, very English, very distinguished. And he said to me, look around this restaurant. There are at least 10 faces here I'd like to slap. <laughs> So that's why we need the comments, so that people that deserve getting slapped, they get slapped. It's a good idea to slap people. Like I, I, You get out of the taxi cab. I need a tip. Really come closer. <laughs> okay, to my knowledge, no comedian, other than myself, but I was probably drunk, has ever seen a UFO. Have you ever seen any UFO? No, but I have a friend who was doing a documentary on it, and she has interviewed so many really smart people who will not give out their names because they feel it will really hurt them by saying they have seen it. I have not seen it. A friend of mine in Connecticut saw them. She and the husband saw it in their car together. But I don't know. I never had anyone from Harvard or Yale ever come up and say, I've seen a UFO. It's always like two idiots with no teeth. I was skinning a rabbit, and there it was. Yeah, those or, they, or, they use it, or they use it as some sort of excuse for something. I'm sorry I didn't come home. I was abducted by aliens and probed. But I also had another friend who's very smart. He does Alf. You remember Alf? The yeah. funny little comedy. The show, the, the TV show. The Alf. TV show and the character. And he writes Alf. And he swears he was in his house at Malibu and he opened up his eyes and there was this thing hovering right outside his window and then uh, woke his wife up, showed it to her and then again it went away. So I know two people I respect that have seen them and then a lot of people that are asses that I don't respect that have seen them. But none of them are dragged like an alien carcass in front of you to look at. No, but my cousin Sheila claims they abducted her from a Starbucks <laughs> and they took her towards, I think it was Venus, and they let her go because she kept saying the whole way, are we there yet? Are we there yet? <laughs> they, brought her, they brought her back. <laughs> I was going to say when your friend saw the craft hovering outside the window was Anne Hesh in it. <laughs> Anything odd that happens, it always seems like Anne Hesh is involved. Now, right. we have done a show recently, Joan, on aliens and search for life on other planets. And in the movie Men in Black, Dennis Rodman, who's your friend, right? My very good friend. Is actually an alien in Men in Black. And in real life. <laughs> well, that's my question. I want to know what other celebrities you think might be aliens. Oh. <laughs> where do Tom we... Cruise, for sure. Tom Cruise. Well, they, but they believe in all that. Oh, uh, Angelina Jolie with those stupid lips. Those are not human lips. <laughs> yeah, you're right. She has a velociraptor kind of feel about it. <laughs> there are many celebrities. Uh, I think John Travolta because he's either the antichrist to me or an alien because I don't think your career could go from Vinnie Barbarina to like Oscar winner <laughs> without having some sort of... Some, some kind of help. <laughs> yeah, you've got some sort of pact with somebody. Uh, there's a pact with the devil. You can see that in his eyes. <laughs> And he has pointy ears. <laughs> does he? He does now. <laughs> Do you think that there is life in outer space it's as we know life? Excellent question. And if you look at how big the universe is and how common the chemistry is of life, we're made of ingredients that you find everywhere in the universe, carbon, nitrogen, oxygen. It's the most common ingredients in the universe. And the universe is vast. It's been around a long time. It would be inexcusably egocentric to suggest that life on Earth is alone in the cosmos. But we keep thinking the searches for intelligent life, what we might find is like pond scum. <laughs> like at this point, we're dumbing it down. You're sli slime mold. Anything. <laughs> anything any, any. So, so that's an interesting point. If, if we find life out there, it could be smarter than us or dumber 
right? Do you have a, like a feeling about that? If they're smarter than us, are you worried they might treat us the way we treat, that would make us pets? <laughs> right, right. So who should fear whom? Should we fear aliens coming to us or should they fear us if we visit oh, them? No, I think we should be terrified if they're coming to us. Terrified. I don't want to know about it. I don't want to have to make friends with them. I don't want to wear a dog collar. I'm not interested in them saying she used to be a funny person on earth. You can end up a pet in someone's house. <laughs> I could be a rescue pet. <laughs> but I always wonder, the whole universe, it's suddenly so incomprehensible, at least to me, because it, where does it stop? Where do you fall off? Mm-hmm. You know, and if it goes on forever, are there other planets that we could eventually connect with? Other solar systems? Well, now, does this scare you? In the movie Contact, the radio waves that we send out they go out to space, and if we are to reach other life forms, it will probably be through radio waves. Radio waves that we've inadvertently already sent out, the early TV shows. Like, like- our mammograms are out there. <laughs> Your boobs, Joan, could actually bring aliens here. So you mean any kind of a radio wave? That- no, yes, so... Jack Benny's old shows yes. out there? And Hitler! The Hitler speeches, that's why in contact, the Hitler thing, so everything from I Love Lucy to Hitler, the aliens are going to think of us as we love a quirky redhead or... <laughs> yeah, the old Jackie Gleason, no. those, are, those are our emissaries because that's moving away at the speed of light and aliens will first see that about us before they know anything else. I think that's fabulous. <laughs> that means I can see my original Carson shot again. <laughs> yeah. They'll right. be they'll be looking at it. Yeah, right back to me. You know, always bring everything back to yourself. Oh, that's good for me. <laughs> that's how your marriage is going. No, it's not too good. Oh. I don't get along too well with his friends. Yeah. Really, problem with his friends? Well, I don't fit in. Like um, all he's a producer, you know. Yeah. And all his friends are like these very beautiful wives. You know, like these tall, sexy. You know, like the legs never stop. You know, the women like the legs go like legs, 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 leg
uh, so full of PNV, if you want to say that. PNV. Vim and vigor. And the PNV is another way of saying vim and vigor. Okay, I don't know what the I'll stick with the the VMV. All right, go on. Yeah, yeah, but you know the thing that she did constantly is that she didn't care how you felt about the joke. It's a joke and she's going for the joke and that's it. And you know, you always have people who are like, you know, well that's just wrong and I can't believe you would say something like that. You know, we all know the answer to that is, it's a joke, okay? No, I don't believe babies are delicious. I don't really believe that. (laughs) It's a joke. So, you know, I think that's the greatest thing that she had, which was, you know what? I don't give a damn what you think. I'm going for this joke. It may seem inappropriate, but you have to be able to divine that it is indeed a joke. And I'm not a horrible person who believes that, you know, serial killers sometimes do a service to society. (laughs) (laughs) So I was privileged enough to interview her. Uh, she was in our first season of Star Talk. I think that's even before we linked up with you a couple right. of years later. And so I was in her apartment on the Upper East Side, and there against the wall were these file cards. You know, can you imagine like a library, what they used to look like, these three by five card drawers? I'm quite familiar with the Dewey Decimal System. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and so there's a whole wall of these. I say, what are those? They're jokes. You yep. pull out, there's a joke. And yep. you pull out another card, it's another. And it's like, then you realize she's not just somebody who happens to be funny. She's actually thought this stuff through, and it's her life. Yeah, and you know, when you tell that story, I'm ashamed to be a comedian. (laughs) You know, I have a bunch of notebooks sitting around with stuff scribbled in them haphazardly, you know, unfinished thoughts that I occasionally go back to, and that's my method. That's how I work, and her method was the right way to work. (laughs) Well, Joan certainly would have loved that we were just having fun in her name. You know, that's the great thing about her, too, is that she planned out her funeral arrangements, and she said she wanted it to be very Hollywood, and she didn't want a bunch of people sitting around in a macabre, traditional setting where everyone was lamenting the loss and mourning. She wanted people to be laughing, and, you know, it actually came off that way, and Howard Stern did her eulogy and opened up with a line about how dry her vagina was because that's something that she talked about on his show. (laughs) And she wanted it that way. So, I mean, true to the end and even beyond, Joan Rivers always about the funny. And that's a cool thing. Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... Hey, listen. Remember how you told me to toss those takeout containers before we left for vacation? And you were like, I'm serious. If that leaks over the counter, it'll be a slimy abomination by the time I get back. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Don't worry about it. I won't forget. (laughs) Well. Ooh, yeah. That happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. Rinse after use if in contact with food surface. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate, pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently 
at capella.edu. Welcome back to Star Talk. I'm Neil deGrasse Tyson. This is the final part of our tribute to the comedian Joan Rivers. I spoke recently with another comedian who often co-hosts Star Talk, Leanne Lord, about the influence Joan Rivers had on her career. So, Leanne, on Star Talk, I'm privileged to work with professional comedians, and then Joan died, and, and I yeah. thought I have direct access, you know, degrees of separation to Joan, and I'm just wondering. How did it affect you, and what was she to you? What does all that mean in your profession? Well, it feels like it's been a very painful year comedically in terms of who we've lost. You know, it was right behind Robin Williams, and it was almost like, oh, no, you know, we're, we're not ready. I mean, but you're never ready to lose an icon. And I think one of the things that people kept saying was that, she's an icon. She's always there. So the longer you have someone, it's almost like your parents, the longer they're there, the longer you think you're going to have them. You start thinking, well, well maybe she's a vampire. Maybe she's immortal. Maybe she's worked something out. It wasn't just the surgery on her face. It wasn't just the surgery. You know, there was actually maybe a portrait of her in her attic that we didn't want to look at. Very literary <laughs> reference there to a portrait of Dorian Gray. Yes. English major. Got to throw it out there. So throw it out there. Very okay. It'll stick around. somewhere. Uh-huh. <laughs> Yeah, so as an icon, that would be to all of us, but to you specifically, growing up as a comedian and mm-hmm. coming onto the scene, did you reference her in your mind, in your heart, in your soul? To be honest, I think I was a little bit removed from Joan Rivers. I think I was more influenced by the people that she influenced, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah, that you works. Know, so I was a big fan you know, of Elaine Boozler and Rita Rudner. They would have been the more direct line to Joan Rivers. These are female comics who had a certain irreverence about them. Oh, absolutely. I mean, they were, you know, for... It wasn't uh, just the one-liner. It was an entire... Exactly. Uh, I mean, for, for Elaine for- Boozler, yeah, for Elaine Boozler, she completely spoke her mind and looked incredibly gorgeous on stage. I mean, I remember her special. She's dressed, you know, in a, a sequin mini dress and pumps and running around on stage very energetically. Uh, Rita Rudner did her show in ball gowns. I mean, you can sort of trace that back to Joan, who always got on stage looking fabulous. You know, she looked fabulous and then just she opened her mouth and all was fair game. You know, she was honest. And while I'm not a, a huge fan of humor that's like that's such an, a, an attack style, yeah. right? Yeah, it, it's not my style at all. But wow, was she ever honest and did not hesitate to point that at herself, which you have to respect that. Again, I say the word icon, I say the word pioneer. She wasn't just a stand-up. She did so many things as, as a writer and an actress and a director. It's like, wow, you know, there's the blueprint boys and girls. You want to be inspired. You and look if at I remember words. correctly, a few years ago, she was roasted uh, on Comedy Central. Yes. And she'd be yes. like the ideal roast candidate because, you know, in the old days, she was there with Johnny Carson. And right. so how many decades has this been? You know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Did we veer into math? I don't know. <laughs> well, I didn't tell you to be math on the show this time. Yeah. yeah, no, I've been deceived. But, you know, it's funny you should mention the roast. I actually am one of those odd comics. I don't like roasts. Mm-hmm. I think they're too mean. I, I don't watch them. Mm-hmm. But 
I heard an interview that she had done and she talked about the roast and she knew what was coming. She knew it was going to be mean and they knew she knew exactly what they were going to go after. And her philosophy was if you can't take it, you don't dish it. So she knew what was coming and her best defense was to be prepared. Mm-hmm. And she said, I know what they're going to say and I'm going to get them at their own game. Plus, no like, one made more fun of her own plastic surgery than herself. Exactly. So if she's doing it to herself, what's your angle on that, right? Which is almost kind of how many of us get started as kids in school getting picked on. It's like, you know what? I'm going to make more fun of me than you can and make you laugh. And then people stop sort of making fun of you. So it goes back to that base there. So she, in her own words, owned her own roast, which, you know, if you're going to be roasted, that's the way to do it. That's the way to do it. When we interviewed her, we were in her apartment, and we did it in her library. It's like, oh, it like a Venetian, pa- <laughs> a Venetian oh. palace. It was gorgeous. And it was an entire wall of sort of card catalogs, like what you used to see in libraries, where you pull out no, the three No, I'm, I'm unfamiliar. I've been born and raised <laughs> in the digital age, Neil. Come on. <laughs> you were <laughs> lying. <laughs> so you pull out the card catalog, and each one was a joke. Of a different, of an entire oh, wall. She was one of those. And okay. then you realize this is not just some woman who happens to be funny walking down the street. No, There's an no. entire comedic culture mm-hmm. and industry that she created. Yeah. And I'm just wondering, is that is that a lost generation of comedians? Is it... Uh, no, no, I don't think so. I think everyone has a different work ethic. Okay. You know, there are comics that, well, one of my favorite books was uh, written by Franklin Ajay. I love this book because it, it interviews all these famous comics and it talks about their process. And you could go from someone like Sinbad, who at the time says he wrote nothing down, to George Carlin, who wrote everything down. Mm. So I think it really just depends on who you are and your work ethic and how you do things. I'm one of those comics. I like that method, you know, that Joan is doing. I've taken mine digital. You know, it's completely on my computer. I, of course, print it out from time to time because you don't always want to look at the screen. So I, I think I fit in that Joan River school of making sure everything is cataloged. The only difference is I'm doing it digitally. So if you were at a funeral and I didn't get to see the funeral, but there was a lineup I, of people... Yeah. What would you say to make everyone think and laugh and oh, man. be sad at all in the same moment? Joan, we love you. We're going to miss you. Thank you. And which jokes of yours can I use now? <laughs> What's up for grabs? What's up for sale? What can I say and just put a footnote <laughs> while I'm on stage? You know what I would ask? I'd ask, did she leave permission? to have scientists open her casket once every 10 years to see if anything has changed. <laughs> oh, that's mean. No, she would, that's a joke she would have given. She would love that. She, she would, would totally have done that. I mean, she was 81 and still yeah, at that, it. That's why I thought, you know, she was going to live forever. She had, you know, kind of morphed into a cyborg, you know, <laughs> and she was going to continue. <laughs> well, Leanne, thank you for these reflective oh. comments. And we'll miss Neil, we'll, we'll all miss Joan, and we'll miss her as one of their first guests on Star Talk. But I feel privileged to have you and other professional comedians carrying her legacy, just trying to make people laugh. You know, if I could be half the comic and have half the career that she made for herself, I too would have a library. <laughs> <laughs> In this final clip. My comedian co-host back in 2009, Lynn Coplitz, and I spoke with Joan Rivers about her interest in science and her hopes for the future. 
have you ever chased a man who had a slide rule or calculate? I mean, any. I like a very smart man, so I think math is a very sexy thing on a man. I think it is on a woman too because it's not to be expected. I mean, Pamela Anderson now that she knows she has two breasts. Everyone is so impressed. If you could pick two, you prefer smart or wealthy or good looking. Wealthy and more wealthy. Wealthy with a bad cough. <laughs> I want an old man with a bad cough, an orphan, and a nurse. That tells you he's going. I would, no living relatives. The older, the better. And maybe we could just shoot him off into space. Well, Joan, I saw a pillow here that yeah. said something about a man in five minutes or something. What was that pillow? No, it's a person can earn more money in five minutes by marriage than they can earn in a lifetime or something, it says. And it, but that could be a man or a woman. <laughs> If they're smart. But I do like the idea of getting an old man with a cough and no relatives and then giving him as a gift, like the weight. Remember when Sharon Stone gave her husband the kimono dragon visit and then he bit her, it bit him? Right. I like the idea of like, I'm giving you, you're going to be on the intergalactic virgin, um, the virgin galactic uh, first, first, first commercial space flight. First flight. Good luck. <laughs> Didn't Martha Stewart was dating this very wealthy man who paid to go into space? Yeah, Charles Simone plunked down 20 million to go into space. And did he go? Yes, he did. And he came back? He came back. Good for him. You're just worried that she was trying to get rid of him. That's oh, I think, you know, honey, I, I love you, but I'm off to Mars. I mean, look, if you got the money, do what you want. So did you take science in college, like math and yeah, physics? I loved biology. I was very good in biology. I was very good in geometry. I was a terrific geometry student because it's very logical, and I like the logic of it. So you're liking smart men. So a man with a pocket protector, that's not like birth control for you uh, no, no for, it is for me i like them cute and dumb yeah, i like them very smart i like them smart at this age i just like them alive if they have a pulse you say he's hot <laughs> but you're very smart you said you majored in geometry and did you use geometry no, I, i've never used geometry i just loved it because i love things that make sense and you can control and geometry is a very controllable science well, so, okay, so is humor and comedy, right? Uh, you come, you comedy is not controllable because you can think something is very funny and nobody else does. You don't control an audience. You can never control an audience. But uh, geometry, yes, you can control this to that equals this. It's controllable and that's it. And you can't change it and I can't change it and that's it. Comedy, you have some idiot in the front row that can ruin your whole show. So it's nothing to do with it. Neil's always asking me if there's a formula to joke writing. And my type of joke writing, there's no formula. I'm just kind of, I don't work that hard. You can't. There's no formula. No, I don't think so either. And the strangest things they think are funny. You know, you'll write and work on something that you think is hilarious, and it is, and then you'll say, and they'll go, ah! And you go, that's funny? Okay, that stays in the act. I always have them laugh at the setup. Like, I'll set up a joke, and they'll laugh and laugh, and I'm like, really? I haven't even gotten there yet. I don't understand why we're laughing. Okay, so we conclude that comedy is not geometry. It's not, it's not geometry. It is not a science. There is no such thing as a science of comedy. And people that try to teach it, I feel, are so cruel. So if anyone is listening out there, if you've got any kind of a logical mind, don't take a course in comedy. I took one. <laughs> <laughs> and just while we were on the subject of geometry, I'm obliged to say that geometry means earth measurement, geometry, earth measurement from ancient Greece when they first used math to measure the earth. I just... <laughs> 
Very interesting. <laughs> Isn't it great? <laughs> and by the way, did I tell you that Neil can sometimes cure any kind of insomnia you might have? I just my duty to share you with that music. Um, Neil makes fun of me a lot on our show. Uh, I do not. Yes, you do. He makes fun of me because there are certain things that he thinks that should be tacit knowledge for everybody. That that's true. I don't. I don't know. For example, I I could not at first name all seven planets. So we thought it'd be fun to see. Eight could, planets. There are eight planets. Eight. Yeah. Okay, whatever. <laughs> all right. Um, I don't. I'm sure on Mercury, Good. Venus, Earth, Mars. Now I'm getting. You're good so far. At four for four. Uranus. <laughs> Saturn. Pluto. Pluto got demoted, but we'll give you one. Oh, don't do that. Pluto had it coming. Pluto had it coming. Ha- no, Pluto is a planet. It had it coming. It was taught that in ethical culture school, and it stayed a fucking planet. <laughs> You're sticking with it. <laughs> it's a planet. Pluto, and then who's on be- Where Then out here is Jupiter. Yeah, you got Jupiter. And did you say Saturn yet? Did she say Saturn? I said Saturn before. I think you got them all. Did I get them all? Yeah. That's because of my grandson that we made. Uh, we've also made a thing that goes around a mobile. mobile. So you're hooking him up. He's going to be a next astrophysicist. Well, kids love that. And they should know where we are in the, in the universe. And they should know about Earth. And they should know about how we're ruining our planet. I think it's all very important to make them aware. You no, know, we did a whole show on telescopes. That was, in fact, our opening show. Oh. Yeah, because it was the anniversary of Galileo, 400th anniversary of Galileo and his telescope. I, I dated him. <laughs> Galileo. <laughs> and, uh, the telescope was, he had a very small, you know what, and so he made this long. It was small. It was an extension. You know how men... So the bigger the telescope, the smaller the... <laughs> yes. So did you ever own a telescope? Yes. I have a country house, and I have uh, views of the mountains, and I love to look at them. I own a telescope. Also, again, it's a great decorating prop. Wait, you love to look at the sky or you love the, the mountains, not the other neighbors? <laughs> no, 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 I like to look at the mountains in the fall because it's pretty. I don't care what the, no. But I think it's wonderful. I love the heavens. I think they're very beautiful. I can't even find the stupid Milky Way, though. I'm not very good. Well, not from New York. You're not going to find Milky Way. you got to be like in the boonies for that. I feel better. Because I, I can't find the North Star. If I was stuck in a boat... I'd be screwed. I'd no, be we'll out. give you GPS. And then... Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. So, have you ever been to the Hayden Planetarium in your whole life? Of course. Oh. I'm a New York child. I've been there as a child. I've been there as a mother. And now I go there as a grandmother. And it's wonderful. My grandson loves it. My grandson's at that magical age where everything is wonderful. We did a whole astrological chart up on his ceiling. The, like, sticky stars on yeah. the... On the side. Yeah, and he loves that. He's very impressed. And, you know, they have a night at the planetarium where you can spend the night. At the museum, actually. Yeah, it's called Night at the Museum. You spend the night in the whale room. It's great. And you and you, you tour the exhibits with flashlight at night. It's a little bit like a homeless village. They all stay... <laughs> and they sleep? Do they sleep there? They sleep in the Hall of Terrifying. Ocean Light. Terrifying. Terrible. That, that's part of the, the mystery of it, because you're a little kid, and you get private tours of the dinosaurs at night with flashlights. That's so exciting. I'm going to do that. That's a brilliant idea. Have you been disappointed by anything science has promised you? Yes. TiVo. I'm very disappointed because I can't work my TiVo. <laughs> but you have the TiVo, though. But yeah. scientists have promised this stuff. Uh, voice commands never work. They, they never work. Do not work. Voice commands do not work. Uh, a great diet pill. 
Ooh. A cure for cancer. Ooh. Uh, all these cures that we have spent millions of me. A smaller microphone. I always say to them when I'm on Broadway, you wear these big, chunky microphones, these mic packs. You can get a man to the moon, and you can't make a smaller mic pack? Well, one of my biggest problems is mammograms. I think it's ridiculous because I always say that you know a man invented that because if the same test was needed for men, it would be some sort of warming space gel that they would drop their testicles in. <laughs> Barry White would come on. They'd have a cocktail slide by with us. You have to still smash your breast between two cold boards. Like, that just seems very strange to me. Yeah, but I like it. <laughs> <laughs> um, Neil has referred to me on our show as a Luddite. Now, at first, I was very angry because I didn't know what Luddite meant, and I thought it had something to do with the big butt. <laughs> but apparently, it's a person who's frightened of technology. So I wanted to know how tech-savvy you are, Miss Joan. I am very upset. I have now that Skype thing so I can talk to my grandson and see him. And it kills me because now I say to myself, does my computer make me look fat? I mean, I can't. It, it's ruined my life. I like the old days. I don't like that I, they can reach me on my BlackBerry, that you are totally reachable around the universe. I find that awful. You need your own time. I need my own time. I, I hate when people say, well, I emailed you. Yeah. Joan, we're sitting in your library. There's not a single trace of technology in the entire library. It's a very it's, classical library. Yes, it's very But behind one of these bookshelves is a, uh, is a TV screen. <laughs> That's what those fake books are on the shelves. One of those sawed-off books on the That's side. That's what sawed-off. He noticed it right away. So, Joan, my last question. What do you want to live long enough to see, technologically or scientifically? <laughs> that Bernie Madoff gets out of jail, calls me up and tells me where the $62 billion are. Bernie and I spend it all. <laughs> I would like to see the planet cleaned up. We're being very serious for a second. I shouldn't be. But I think it's a disgrace what we are doing to our atmosphere. It's a disgrace what we are doing to our planet. And I think we better clean our, ourselves up. Well, you know, and Venus already has a greenhouse effect. It's a run is 900 degrees Fahrenheit on Venus. It could melt lead on Venus. So we already have an example of a, a planet gone bad. So your deep concern about the Earth is very well taken. I want you to tell me why, if we could have saved the universe, why did all these hybrid cars come into fact? very quickly three years ago and gone out of fashion yeah they're not there's not many of them now that i've seen yeah they came and went you know why because they're not i'm telling you it's because they're not sexy because enough celebrities aren't using them i'll tell you something they're ugly they're ugly cars that's what they're they're ugly there you go convince people who cares that it's an ugly car you are saving the planet it is the same thing again and i'm getting off the side that i read in some i don't know time magazine if we all painted our roofs white we would deflect so much heat off the planet. Then make a rule, every roof has to be white, that's all. Then nobody can say, my house isn't pretty with a white roof. If everybody's roof is white, that's it, and you've saved the planet, you idiots. Yeah, plus, you have cheaper cooling bills in the summer. Yes. Yeah. Yes, you know, right. in some countries, you actually get a tax write-off for beautifying your home. Like, if you beautify your property, you can actually write that off your taxes. And who comes and judges that it's beautiful? I, no, no, no. no, no. <laughs> I do. No, like, lawn care and maintenance and stuff is a percentage of that it is a tax write-off. Why not make those things tax incentives? Paint your roof white and drive a hybrid car, you get a tax. Well, I say use the same drivers to make that happen, I think. And also... I'd like to live until they can tell me nothing is going to fly in from out of space 
and destroy us. That is very scary when they say a meteorite may come down and may kill you. And that's terrible. It just makes me want to charge up more on my Amex card. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> that's so funny. I have the same way. Can you tell me exactly when it's going to hit? Wait, wait. Actually, so it's not the day we'll tell you it'll never hit. It's the day we tell you that if it's headed towards us, we can do something about it. Yes, yes. I just want to know. Science, I think, wastes so much time on stupid things and i think we should clean up the universe and clean up the space and uh don't worry about going out into space they'll come and find us so joan any parting thoughts for the star talk audience just that i think how wonderful it would be if there was something out there and if they were all single and jewish <laughs> joan rivers i gotta hug you joan oh my gosh thanks joan for doing this interview for Thank star talk so radio joan. You've been listening to Star Talk Radio, brought to you in part by a grant from the Sloan Foundation. This is Neil deGrasse Tyson, compelling you, until next time, to keep looking up. Start clean with Clorox, because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... Hey, listen, remember how you told me to toss those takeout containers before we left for vacation? And you were like, I'm serious. If that leaks over the counter, it'll be a slimy abomination by the time I get back. And I was like, yeah, 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 of course. Don't worry about it. I won't forget. <laughs> well. Ooh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. Rinse after use if in contact with food surface. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation.